Welcome to all my buddies out there. It's another episode of your favorite show, BuddyCast. And folks, I'm here with one of my mentors, someone who has taught me all the trades in communication, a really great spiritual guy, Father Sean Clerkin. How are you doing today, sir? I'm so good, Nick, and it's so great to spend some time with you. And I have to say you've taught me and continue to teach me in other ways as well. So it's a, it's a mutual admiration society. Yes, 100% the student and the teacher. Yep. <laughs> and we and we switch roles depending on, on who needs to learn what at one moment in time. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Let me start by asking you that. How did you get into teaching? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I you know, back when I was a little boy, you know, I I, <laughs> I always um, always felt very comfortable telling other people what I thought <laughs> and also sharing ideas and also exploring ideas with others. I, I was the kind of person when we played school in my neighborhood or in my house. Um, my sister and I would take turns being teacher, but because I was two years older, I oftentimes just kind of defaulted to the role. And I really enjoyed that 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 part of it and, and that prospect as well. Um, I didn't really know I was a teacher until I actually got into situations where uh, I was either leading a cast in a production of a play or a musical, or, uh, or the very first time I sat in front of the classroom, I went to Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia as a teacher. And I was, uh, I, I was there to learn directing, theater directing. And one of the trade-offs was, okay, we'll, we'll give you a couple thousand dollars to run a class, which of course means that the university makes all the money and that we graduate students get a, get a little bit, but, but we appreciated every opportunity. And the first time I stood in front of the classroom and I looked out and you, you say something and people like, this is back in 19, you know, late mid to late 1980s. They'd pull out their little notebooks, they'd pull out their pens, and they'd start writing down notes based on what you're saying. And you realize that, oh my gosh, they're they're actually learning from me. Um, and I realized that part of that was just, you know, I, I was always a chapter ahead of them in the textbook, but was also the ability to explain ideas, to share concepts, to solicit um, their uh, responses, uh, trying to get them to provide evidence of learning so that I could provide them with the uh, responses to that to that evidence. That's that's kind of where I realized that I was a teacher, but it really was really kind of made more real when you stood up in front of a classroom and became a teacher. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned theater. I know you play a big role in the theater here in Erie. How did you, what led you to get into theater back in the days? Well, you know, again, you'd have to go back to my wee ones uh, days back when I was in fourth and fifth grade. I think the very first time I was was in a show was I, we were working on a, uh, we had a French class in, in fourth grade, and we were working on a play by with two puppets, Pierre and Guignol. Um, were these two puppets, and we would do these little little stories in 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 and, uh, in French, of course, uh, with a puppet show. And then in fifth grade, I had a chance to play um, a a soldier in our in our production of Julius Caesar. Now it wasn't the full Shakespeare production, but it was an opportunity. And I I of course was just playing a messenger, and I walked in and I went, 
hail Caesar. And I dropped to my knees and I remember the director looked at me and said, Sean, could, could you just, just walk in and just say the line? You're doing way too much. You just have to just say the line. The play is about Julius Caesar. It's not about the messenger. And so I, I, I kind of realized probably that I was a, a bit of a performer from, from the word go. Um, I, I became an actor uh, more by default than anything. And also thanks to a man, Rick Ziegler, who was my choral teacher in, in, in high school. Uh, and Rick, first of all, gave me my voice or helped me find my voice, my singing voice. But he also then brought me in, uh, in, into the uh, relationship with the Footlighters of Elk County uh, in Elk County, Pennsylvania. I'm from Johnsonburg originally. And so this community theater that was based in Ridgeway, Johnsonburg, St. Mary's um, would produce a, a couple of plays and musicals each year. And he took me to, to be Harold uh, the Herald, the trumpet player in a production of Camelot. I, I was bitten by the bug and I continued to then be a part of the Footlighters for a couple of years. Came to Gannon as a pre-med major and at the end of my second semester realized that I was in the wrong, I just was in the wrong track. Um, I, 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 uh, I was doing okay academically, but I was not happy. Uh, and one of my professors, uh, George Hesch, pulled me aside, Dr. Hesch, and he said, uh, you're, not, you're not happy. And I said, well, Dr. Hesch, I have an A in your course. He said, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, I'm talking about who you are. What are the, what are the gifts that God's given you? What are the things that you need to do uh, to, to be on track with, uh, with who you were, you were invited to be in this world? And, uh, and I switched into theater comm and was happy as a clam and, has been, and have been happy ever since. I went away to grad school, came back to start teaching March 1st of night. Of uh, 1989, and so I just celebrated my uh, my 31st year as a teacher here at Kennedy University. So congratulations! Hey, thanks. Yeah, more than happy to be here. I, I said that to a colleague once, and they said, "Wow, that's so wonderful! You've been here so long." And I said, "Yeah, so wonderful that I have no ambition to go anywhere else." <laughs> and it really wasn't about ambition. I, I mean, I'm the kind of person. I, no matter what your job is, and, and wherever you happen to find yourself, I just happen to really love Gannon University, and I feel very comfortable here. I feel very welcome here. I also feel that my gifts are well suited to what I'm doing here in this environment and with uh, and with the people here. So, so mm -hmm. wherever you are, you just you just know you're in the right place because you, you can feel it, you know. And it's not necessarily about money, and it's not necessarily about leadership opportunities. Sometimes it's really about just knowing that you are using the gifts that you have in the right way, you know, and and in the right place. And that's and I've always felt that way about Gannon. And that is why you were one of my mentors, you know. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, because I've been I've been to a couple of jobs when I was after I graduated Gannon. It was you know, there were jobs like Erie Insurance, which is the biggest company in town. But at the same yeah. time, I felt like I had the name, but I'm just doing the same job over and over again, just right. kind but, of thing. And then, and for some people, that kind of consistency and uh, predictability is absolutely essential, and they are very happy with that. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 I and I've got a lot of friends in in the performing arts who also feel that way that they really like that sense of stability. But then mm -hmm. there's others who just you know I, I I'm the kind of person even when I teach a course I've taught uh, contemporary issues for example I change mm -hmm. the book every single time I teach it because I don't like repetition. To me, repetition is the death of creativity. You know, and so for to be creative and adaptive. You, you need to con continually challenge yourself to something new and, and, and yeah. try to find new ways to get through situations. Yes. And I'm the exact same way. Like, sure, I do the same thing at work today, but at the same time, there's always something new going on. Like, mm -hmm. it's never the same structure fire. It's never the same car accident. It's never the same, like, someone giving someone something. Right. It's always it's it's never the same interview. I mean, you're you're with a different person each time you do your buddy cast and and and, exactly. and I kind of like the fact that that, it, that there is change. You know, there are some things which are the same. You know, there's still a camera, there's still a mm -hmm. mic, 
<laughs> but other than that, everything else changes. And I, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now let's jump shift a little bit here. How did you get into ministry? How did you, how did you become a minister? Sure. Now I'm, I'm going to tell you, this is a weird one because it, it, it touches on something that, that can be, you know, debatable. But I, I, when I was in high school, had a very strong dream and a, and a dream that was very vivid uh, in which I, I, I felt very strongly that I had heard the voice of God who called me to a to ministry and called me to love Jesus and follow Jesus and teach Jesus and share Jesus. Um, I don't, I, I'm also a firm believer that that a lot of that has to do with the family I grew up in, the churches that I attended. I, I, I'm a firm believer that God fits into a whole lot of spaces. And sometimes he even fits into spaces outside of my own faith. You know what I mean? God's mm -hmm. probably bigger than my book. Um, but for me, the fullness of understanding and the fullness of relationship comes in that and that faith of Christianity. And so so I had that dream, but then I kind of pushed it away because there were other things I wanted to do in life. You know, I was born and raised a Roman Catholic. And and of course, I also felt very strongly that I wanted to be a husband and be involved in a relationship. I wanted to have children and be in, involved with those relationships. And in that tradition, it just wasn't it wasn't part of what we were what we were doing or what we are doing, actually. And I and I admire my brothers and sisters or my brothers who are Roman Catholic priests and my my sisters who are who are religious as well. Um, but I also felt very called to other kinds of personhoods, you know, and, and, and relationships. And so it was really, a, you know, an opportunity that I was singing in a bunch of different choirs, and I ended up singing with the St. Paul's Episcopal Church Choir here in Erie. And the Episcopal Church, is, it's a lot like Roman Catholicism in many ways. In fact, Robin Williams, who was an Episcopalian, he said he, said, uh, he always called Episcopalian uh, Catholic light. He said, all of the sacraments, but only one-third of the guilt. <laughs> which always made me laugh because I never felt guilty as a Catholic either. But but I walked into this church and I looked at the altar and I saw a man standing there who and his, his wife and children were in the front row. And and I was like, what kind of bizarre kind of church is this? Because it felt very Catholic, but it also felt very different. And I realized that I was a pretty mediocre Roman Catholic, to be honest. I had a lot of questions and a lot of challenges with some of the things uh, that I had learned and understood. Very much appreciate, but I, I question. I'm a questioner. You know, I'm a bit of a rebel. You know, if you say do something this way, my first answer is why. You know, um, not not how, but why. Uh, and then uh, and then in this church, I was able to look up and see somebody who was ordained uh, in the in, in the priesthood. Uh, we do use the same term priest, uh, who is, is celebrating the sacraments in the same way, but also um, was also functioning in other ways and other relationships in, in, in their lives. And so I, I, I was actually then that whole dream came back to me and everything, all my imagination sparked. And I realized that 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 was where I needed to be. And so I pursued it. I did a local ordination process, uh, became, uh, went through our local school for ministry. It, it was wonderful, but it was not satisfying. I'm an academician. I need, I need the academic degree. So I went to a commuter program at uh, Bexley Hall, Rochester. Uh, there was a seminary that we had in Rochester that ran a commuter program. And so Gannon was so kind and so gracious and the students were so patient with me. And I would drive up on Sundays and uh, be with them in community Sundays through Tuesday. And I'd come back Tuesday afternoon and start teaching my, four, or my 12 credits on uh, you know, Tuesday afternoon through Friday evening. Uh, and then directing shows and everything else would kind of go along with that. And for, for almost eight years, I, I, I was involved in this program, 96 credit hours, and, and I earned every single one of them uh, and then became an ordained uh, Episcopal priest. And so that's, that's kind of where I came from. But, but again, it's kind of like the same thing as with performing or with teaching. Y you just know when you're supposed to do something. I, the hardest thing for me was leaving the choir. I'm a, I'm a singer, and I loved being in the Episcopal. And the St. Paul's Episcopal Church Choir, they have a beautiful choir. 
-hmm. And the first thing the bishop said to me was, uh, Bishop Rowley at the time said, well, you have to step out of the choir and I need you to be on the altar. And I thought, I don't know how to be someplace else in the church. I, I only know how to be in the choir loft. And, and the first time I stood at the at the table and I set the table for the priest as a, as a verger and as an altar server at the time, I went, oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, again, not to be weird, but your hands kind of get a little high, hot and, and you realize that you're really doing something that is really tied into who and, and what God's asked you to be. Beautiful story. I love how you got the calling and you didn't, again, like at first you're kind of like, okay, just set it on the back burner, but you kept it on the stove. You Absolutely. You know, my, my, my favorite book in the Bible is Jonah. And Jonah says, hey, you know, God says, Jonah, I want you to be a prophet. And he runs away. He runs, He goes to the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a whale, trying not to be who God asked him to be. It's my favorite story because because ultimately, the and I love the phrase from Hebrew, it literally says that the whale vomits him on the shore. And, and he, Jonah literally gets thrown up on the shore and he has to go forward and do what God's asked him to do. Okay. I really like that book of the Bible. It's one of the shortest books, but it is so, yep. so good. I got to tell you my favorite story in the Bible, and you're going to love this. Yeah. I love the story of Zacchaeus, not just because Zacchaeus was the short figure, yes. but because it was the first adaptation. You know, it was the first, there's someone who can't physically see God. Like he's searching, searching. He can't get through the crowds. What does he do? Does he give up like everyone else and just go, I'll see him next time he comes into town. He sees a tree. Oh, there's my answer. Right up there. <laughs> And he climbs the tree. I mean, it's not even that he that he just finds he doesn't squeeze his way through. He literally exerts the energy yep. to get to a viewpoint where he can see Jesus. That's I, I agree with you. Zacchaeus is a he's he's, he's inspirational for everyone. Yeah. yeah. And then Jesus finds him and turns his life right around. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Now I gotta ask you, from a spiritual standpoint, you know, we're we're in a troubling time right now. We're in a year that a bunch of people thought it was going the complete opposite way and then you know, we get hit with the pandemic. People are just, you probably have seen it. People, Absolutely. you say hello to the first person you see on the street and you're greeted with a profanity. And you're just, you know. So let me ask you from a spiritual standpoint, how can we do better during this time? How can we better ourselves? How can how can we go from the negative to finding the positive? Absolutely. Well, you know, part of that, I, you know, and 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 I and I've got friends on all sides of the political, partisan, cultural, spiritual spectrum. Spectrum, and we do. We and, and at any moment in time, we shift back and forth and everything. But, but at the same time, I think the one thing that is absolutely essential that we we have to do is we have to affirm and maintain our relationships to one another, regardless of whether you wear of whose whose partisan sign you had in your front yard a couple of weeks ago, or some still do. Mm -hmm. over, let's move on, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it, it, regardless of who you supported, regardless of how you identify yourself, regardless of whether you order the beef or the chicken or the fish or the vegetable for a wedding feast, it doesn't matter. What matters is you're in relationship with one another. And to be in relationship with one another means that I have to give up some things on my part in order to serve and take, take care of others, right? And I think the pandemic is really challenging us to balance between what our rights are and what our responsibilities are. We are, we do have, we absolutely have rights. I have a right to be independent. I have a right to my own body. I have a right to my own space, but I am also 
I also have a right to listen to what God teaches. And God says, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, body, and strength, and then love your neighbor as you want to be loved. And that does not mean that I have, I, I can do whatever I want to my neighbor. It, it says that I have to honor my neighbor as I want myself to be honored. And part of that right now in the pandemic is to invite ourselves into how can I care for others. We're always told, I mean, Jesus says right up front, and I always say Christianity ain't for sissies. We're always told right up front that we're invited into places where we can feed the hungry, clothe the naked, house the homeless, visit visit prisoners, which is one we sometimes forget, take mm-hmm. care of orphans and widows and foreigners on our shore. Those are the Anawin. These are the marginalized. These are the people we are supposed to be caring for. And sometimes it's also caring for those who are older, and those who have compromised immunosuppressed systems. I do not want to wear a mask because I'm afraid of anything. I ain't afraid of nothing. I talk to my doctor and I'm good, you know? Um, if I get it, I might have a couple of bad days, but I'm not gonna have the same experience that my sister Kim would have, who was born with a congenital heart defect, who has immunosuppressed issues. And so when I go to visit her at her home, I wear my mask. And I, and I protect her. And if I'm not feeling well, I'm not going to see her. I don't leave the house when I'm not feeling well because I don't know who I'm going to run into from one moment to the next. So this pandemic is really inviting us not into a place of asserting my rights, but to assert my responsibility to my brothers and sisters who I share spaces with. Um, it is, it, and it's, it, it's difficult because I understand, you know, my wife was uh, at a store locally and somebody was not wearing a mask and they said, the, the expletives came out, right? You know, mm-hmm. and we had fisticuffs at Lowe's because people confront one another saying, where's your mask? I don't have to wear a mask. No, you don't have to wear a mask, but you should want to wear a mask. You should desire to care for the other people in a positive way. Don't wear a mask because you're afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Wear a mask because you, you don't know at any moment in time. The beautiful thing about Ms. Rona, our students call her Ms. Rona. <laughs> you know, that's what they call her, Ms. Rona. I, I don't, I'm like, does it got to be a Ms? Could it be a Mr? But Rona is a feminine noun, so we might as well call her Ms. Rona. And so Ms. Rona is very friendly. She wants to get to know everybody. And when she gets to know you, she doesn't always tell you she's checked in until, you know, a few days on. So you could have her. She could be really close to you and you don't know it. So we do have to be careful with this one. This is not like the cold where within 24 hours you know whether you've got the sniffles or not, or, or not because you're literally wiping your face. Um, with Ms. Rona, you, she could be around for a few days or even a week to 10 days without revealing herself. And so if you don't know you have it, then wear the mask. Just be careful with each other. And if we all did that, then we would have a very different story. The trouble is, you know, and it is hard, though. I mean, the the places where we see it spreading are places like restaurants and bars and, sadly, churches and religious celebrations, weddings, of all things. It was a a recent one just over the weekend or two weeks ago where where 80, and they reduced the size of the wedding down to 83, but they ate their meal, and then they started dancing, and and you can't do the chicken dance with with your mask on. You know I mean? just And so all of a sudden, out of 83 people, 43 tested positive within, within a week. Mm-hmm. And some of those were were in the ICU with intensive because they were older aunts and uncles, and and this is a reality of it. So I think what right. it's being, what it's doing is for me, it's inviting us and in to say, what is my relationship to you, regardless of those things that separate us? I don't care where you go to church. I don't care what you believe or don't believe. 
I don't care whose sign you had in your front yard. None of that matters. What matters most is how I relate to you, how I, Sean, the person, Sean, relate to you, Nick, or anyone else I meet on the street because I am in relationship with you. We're all created by God. We are brothers and sisters. For the love of God, we've got to stop separating ourselves by a bunch of criteria and demographics that somebody else uses to market soap. You know, none of those things are important. What's important is what unifies us. And we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. That is one of the strongest answers I have ever heard. Well, and I, well, you pressed the button, Nick, again. I, yeah. <laughs> I, apparently, I have strong feelings about this. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I'm on your side. I am on your side. I was in the post office the other day, and this lady came in, didn't have a mask on. The postal, the postal guy confronted her, and she's like, oh, yeah, I don't believe in that stuff. The first thing out of her mouth was a certain politician, you know, who said like, oh, hashtag, you know, who 2020. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know what? And, and I love politics. I love all of our politicians and I don't blame anybody there. Nobody surprises me with what they say or do. But you know what? I listen to politicians when they talk about politics. I listen to healthcare professionals. I listen to public health professionals and epidemiologists when they tell me what's happening on the healthcare level. It's it's like know your expert and trust your experts and don't listen to people. I mean, I, I, I love my atheist friends. I don't listen to them when they talk about faith. They don't, they don't share the same perspective that I do. I do listen to them when they challenge me as to what I really believe, because I think some of their questions are really important. So in the same way that I, you know, I trust my doctor when he looks at me and, and before we went back to school this fall, because again, I went back face to face. We had eight, 95% of our classes were still in person in some capacity. And, but we also, we also were testing aggressively and we were also wearing masks, maintaining distance, washing our hands and doing all the things that we were supposed to do. And we had very little spread within the classroom, if, if any. I think all of the only spread we saw sometimes was in the houses or also when people would leave campus, take off their mask, hang out with friends and then come back to campus. I mean, that was really the, the situation we found ourselves in. But I, I don't I, I listen to my experts and I and I trust them. And and this notion that somehow the media is telling us things that are lies, we have to we have to get over that. You know what I mean? Because the media is also there's also conservative media and and progressive media. There there are all sorts of media who are sometimes trying to tell us things, but the experts continue to be experts. And I trust the experts when they speak to me. I trust Jesus when he tells me about matters of faith, right? Yeah. I absolutely do. Uh, and, and, and I trust my preachers and my teachers when they tell me things about the areas that they're experts in. Now, again, I'm not an expert in epidemiology or public health. Don't listen to me when I say things. But mm -hmm. I listen to people when they do tell me things. And that's what the professionals are telling me. Yes. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Listen to the experts. They're the one who know. They, you know, like Dr. Fauci, for example, didn't go to didn't go to med school just to spread a bunch of lies to you and make you scared to stay in your own home or something. That's right. And I, and I, and I, and while I appreciate, while I appreciate people who are leading government and the, the delicacy of what they're trying to manage here. And, and many of them, again, are making decisions and saying things in order to make sure that they're reelected by the constituency, as opposed to making health, public health decisions, which are really difficult to make, because sometimes you have to ask people to do things that might not get you reelected, but it might save a couple of lives along the way. You know, yes. so I, 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 I would love to I would love to see that aspect of it as well. I don't. But but I but I I agree with you. I, I, I the, the person who doesn't believe it 
is the person who I'm worried about most because that's the person who puts themselves in danger and possibly could be in a situation where they're going to be the ones in the ICU. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the one of the worst things that I thought about, you know, you know, sometimes you think about awful responses. I had this notion of we've been worried about how do we care for the elderly and with Medicare and Medicaid and how are we going to deal with the, the issues of Social Security? And, and I had this notion of the recognition that this pandemic sadly could solve the problem for us because it's going to eliminate a population or a portion of the population that are over over that age of 65 because they are more vulnerable. And I thought, I do not want that to be the answer or the solution. I do not want my my older aunts and uncles um, to, to to have to go through the the challenges of this particular disease. We, we've we've seen it. We know what it's like. So I, I'm hoping that in order to protect the lives of others and my sister and people younger than me. I mean, there are people who are younger than me who are dying in their 20s and 30s who are dying from this disease because they are not capable of fighting it the way that I or other people can find it once and if we get it. You know. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's that's my that's my answer for the pandemic question. Yes. Also, you know what, Nick? But I also don't you feel also that it's inviting us into a place of of appreciation? I was just talking yes. with um, one of my colleagues here on the street this morning, and we're talking about. So, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? What are you doing? Well, for Thanksgiving, we would normally get together with Don and Sue Baxter and all of their family from all over the country, and we'd have forty or fifty people at their household, and we'd have a lobster clam bake, and and then on Thanksgiving Day we'd gather together and we'd pray together and offer our thanks for all of the wonderful gifts that were given. Uh, we're not doing that this year. Thanksgiving and- in my household is going to be myself. My wife, Almy, my son, Seamus, and her mother, Jean. And we're going to be gathered together around a turkey breast. Not even a whole turkey, just a turkey breast. i got to make sure I make a good gravy because turkey breast gets pretty dry, you know. Um, but we're going, to be, we're going to be minimizing it. And we're going to, and you know what, we're going to be sad about, about the things that we do not have. We're going to be sad about the things, the people that we are not with. Because being sad about it also means recognizing that they matter. You know, the <laughs> pandemic has also forced us to, we've been backed into a corner and I, I'm starting to realize how much I miss things. I miss church, for example. Our, our diocese and our bishop has asked us not to do in-person worship just because we can't do it safely. And the other thing that's true is that for those of us who could do it safely, we also have marginalized those older friends or people who can't come to church, you know, and we don't want to do something without them. We want to wait until such time as we can gather together all of God's people, at least in at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Fairview, until we can all be together in the same space, we can be apart, you know, we can spend this time. I said, it's so interesting. I mean, the, the Old Testament story of the, the captivity in Babylon, never got it until now. I mean, to see that, that the Israels were taken from their temple and for 70 years, can you imagine that? 70 years not being able to walk into your house of faith and to worship God in the beauty of holiness, to not be able to do that, you know? I said, you know, here we are whining about seven months and they had to deal with 70 years of it. We're going to be back in church. Maybe by Easter, April 4th is Easter this coming year. We will have gone through. I, I, my thing is, is, is St. Patrick's Day. I want to make sure that we are well immunized and we can begin to return to some of the normal things. I know that it's going to probably be July or maybe even September of next year before we were actually walking into a movie theater without a mask on or sitting down at a restaurant without lucite, without lucite walls between us. But in the meantime, I'm going to learn how to appreciate 
the things that I have been denied, because those are the things that really matter. And some things, eh, they didn't matter so much. You know, I, I, I love restaurants, but I've been really enjoying takeout, especially supporting some of our local restaurants. Um, what I really miss are, uh, again, a theater person. I miss sitting in a, in, a, in a theater with 400 strangers, laughing and cheering and crying at a bunch of local friends on stage. I miss that. I miss going to a movie theater. I love movies. I love I love when the when the screen fills your vision. And as much as I love my my you know my 60 inch diagonal at home, HD, you know, I it's it's just not the same because part of it is also part of that is that same relationship. I get to be with people from my community or beyond and I don't know them. But somehow we're sitting in the dark looking at a story and we're all feeling it and sharing it together. It so affirms humanity. Going to a movies is not just about the popcorn, you know, and not just about getting out of the house. It's also about sharing an experience with a bunch of people I don't know, but I affirm that we're all humans and we all share the same appreciations and fears and joys and expectations and hopes. Yeah, that's what movies are for me. Yes, you hit the, again. You hit the nail on the head with the movies. You too, right? You're a movie buff. I know that, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You put me in front of. If I'm just starting to the channel, one of my favorite movies is on, say, Rocky or something. I have had a dead pause. You know where to find me the rest of the evening. I'll even text people. Would love to come out with you tonight, but uh, at the same time, this is on. So right, right, right. And, yeah. and I like staying home. You know, there's no doubt about it. With the busy lives that we leave, sometimes being home mm -hmm. is good. And I'm a bit of an introvert. You know, like I, I, I enjoy being around people, but it takes a lot of energy. I, I re-energize by being alone. But I, for the last eight months now, eight months, um, yeah. I've been forced to be home alone. I don't like being forced to be alone. I like choosing solitude when I need it. But this, mm -hmm. this forced loneliness or forced disconnection with others is very challenging. Yes. And actually, that reminds me of a funny story. That's how I, that's how I kind of knew that things were heading in the right direction with my girlfriend. Um, yes. It was a night that I was out with my cousins. Today, actually, actually, there's a small story here for you. Today's the anniversary of when we lost our grandmother, who was like the glue of the family. No, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So we were out with my cousins like later on this week, a, a year ago. And we're out at this bar. My two cousins were going to drive me home. And they're like, oh, just one more drink and we'll be out of here. Well, and then like two more people would show up and be like, oh, well, we got to have something with these guys. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah. And I finally just got to the point where I'm like, I realized, like I was just sitting there and I'm like, I would much rather be home in my bed, reading a book, talking to this girl, just relaxing rather than talking yeah. like this. And you're the guy next to you. And that's what I kind of knew. I'm like, I think that's telling me something. Like, I think that's God telling me something here. Like, I think that's saying you're ready. You're this. So I called the friend who, I called the friend who drives Uber and said, are you by this area? Yeah, I'm right around the corner. Good. Come pick me up. I'm heading home. I'm ready to go home. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, so, I, I love being around people, but it is exhausting. It, it really yeah. is. But I also yeah. don't like, I don't like the sense of disconnect that we've had to experience here. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've had a couple of, of distanced afternoons. The nice thing about this 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 October, November, we've had some beautiful weather. So we've actually been able to spend some time with people in backyards and, and maintaining our distance and, and sharing a meal and things. And so it's been it's been really quite that's been nice actually. Uh, but it's also you know a good reminder of, of, of how important those relationships are too. Yeah. Yes. The one thing I wanted to ask you was um, you know, just talking about being positive. 
one question I always ask my friends, on, or as I call them buddies on this show, yeah. is how can we be, how, in your own words, what does it mean to be someone's buddy? Yeah, you know what? I think to be a buddy is to be a friend, to be a companion, to be a compatriot, but it also means to affirm that relationship. You know, I, I think that, I think we have more buddies out there than we know of. And, mm -hmm. I, and I, but I think that it's also about, you know, articulating it in some way that when, when I say, when I say that Nick, Nick Sorensen means something to me, I'm saying you're my buddy, but I'm also saying that I'm also obligated to that relationship as well. So that, that buddy nature uh, has, has so much to do with affirming a relationship between two persons. And I think it's absolutely, it's a beautiful thought, you know, and I love the word buddy. My brother's nickname is buddy. Uh, nice. Leo, his full name was Leo Francis Clerk in the third. That wasn't going to go over well in Johnsburg, Pennsylvania. So his nickname was Buddy. And he was truly and continues to be a buddy to everybody he knows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes more, more more Buddy than he should be. But he's often that. That's who he is. Very, very social. Very, very connected. Yeah. Yeah. And I say part of being a buddy is being charitable. So. I, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And giving to one another of time and treasure. Sure. Yes. I want to ask you if you could have our audience donate to one charity of your choice, what would it be? Well, you know, that's a great question. I think right now, because of the nature of, of what we're facing in our pandemic and that there are going to be some people who are who have been and will continue to be hungry, I would say reach out to the, um, the food bank here in Erie, Pennsylvania, or in any food bank, whether your church or, uh, or your community has a food bank. In Fairview, where my church is, we're working with a Fairview food bank. Uh, we, we give, uh, and not just about money, but if, if you're shopping or if you're ordering groceries online, order an extra dozen or two of eggs. More than anything, eggs are something that continue to feed so many people in different ways. You can eat eggs alone, you can make bread, you can make cakes, you know, they're, they're, they're so wonderful. And so one of the things that we've done at, at St. Stephen's in Fairview uh, is to have an egg drive. And every couple of weeks we collect eggs and we collect hundreds of dozens of eggs and then we take them to the food pantry. Um, but the food pantries right now, I think really need our help because there are continuing to be more and more people who, who unfortunately are signing up for unemployment, who continue to struggle to feed their family. Um, and in a time like this, when we are celebrating abundance and harvest, um, I think we have to be be aware of the gifts that we've been given and give from those gifts to others. So if you can help to feed the hungry, that's one of the things that Jesus said, feed the hungry, feed my sheep. Yeah. So, so get out there and feed some sheep. Yes. Alrighty, I got two more questions for you. Awesome. The first one is I'm running this campaign. You've touched on this a little bit, but I'm running this campaign in November because of the election, the pandemic, all the negativity. We need more positivity in this world. How do you think we can spread more positivity? You touched on a little bit, but in your own words, how can you? How can we spread positivity? Well, you know, I, we we often are time. Uh, we're oftentimes in our churches and in our faith communities invited to see the divine in one another. Uh, to see God in everybody, in every face, and every eyes, and it's really easy to do it now because when we're masked. We're forced to look at eyes in ways that we, we didn't always have to do before. So we communicate a lot more through eye contact right now. I would say not just don't just see God and everybody you see, but see yourself and everybody else. You know, see the you that is looking back at yourself in somebody else's face. Now, I'm not talking about being selfish or being egotistical or conceited, you know, or narcissistic. I'm talking about recognize that they have the same 
hopes and fears and desires and, and needs that you have. And so when you look at them, allow that to reflect back to yourself. Don't see the other as being separate from you, but see the you in them, see the them in you. It's a wonderful, actually, Ubuntu is a is a wonderful African tradition. Uh, and, and it really is that idea of seeing the, the me and you, the you and me, recognizing that we are we are share much more than what divides us. So I, I would recommend if you can do that, it's easier to look past some of the other things that separate us, the economics, the politics, the gender, the all of the things that seem to make us different. We are so much more alike than we will ever be different. So I want to, I really want to encourage us to do that. Yes, that's beautiful. And now it's time for what I call the ultimate buddy cast buddy question. You ready uh -oh. for this? I'm ready. What is your advice? This is going to be a two-part question for you. Okay. What's your advice for number one, anyone who wants to become a creature? And number two, anyone who wants to become a teacher? Okay. So, you know, the most of the, it's kind of, I'm going to have a similar answer to both because, you know, I, I tried to compartmentalize preacher, teacher, husband, mm -hmm. father, all of those things. And one of my spiritual directors once said, aren't you always Sean? You know, you know, so just be the Sean. So, so I would say as a teacher or a preacher, be yourself. And the most, most important thing about both of those leadership positions is that you are authentically you. Share your compassion, share your strength, share your questions, share your hopes, be yourself. And also, and we know this through communication, you know, we share this, Nick, know your audience. Know yes. what they need and satisfy those needs. Know what they're asking and answer their questions. You know, no, if, as a teacher and a preacher, I have to know my congregation. I have to know my classroom and I have to provide them with what they're coming to me asking for. As a teacher, they're coming to me with questions. I should answer the questions that they have. As a preacher, they're coming to me with hopes and fears. I should be able to satisfy those hopes and fears and allay those fears with, with, with the good news that I have to share. So, you know, Know, know yourself, you know, that's, that's, that's 2000 years, 2,500 years old to thyself, to thyself, to thyself be true, said, uh, said Aristotle or um, Plato. And then secondly, know your audience. And that's definitely, you know, that's definitely Aristotle. Know your audience and satisfy their needs. Know yourself, know your audience. If you can relate always, to yourself, always, if, you, always. if you can be like Elton John and love yourself again, you can love others. I Amen. love it. I love it too. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being a buddy here on BuddyCast. Stick around. We'll catch up for a minute. All right. But, thank you so much for the yeah. invitation. And thank you for Absolutely. doing this. This is great work. Thank you. Thank you. For all my buddies out there, this is my mentor, Father Sean Clerkin. He was a great professor at Dan University. He's a great buddy to me today. And as I end every single episode, I got one favor to ask you. Go be someone's buddy today. We'll catch you next time here on BuddyCast. Well